The bry has got a lot bigger today. Welcome to On The Whistle. We have a show that I am so excited about. In fact, I think we're going to call the show Brainos In The Box. As always, my co-conspirator, Courtney Freeze, the man who won a PSL title at Manning Rangers back in the day. And I'm happy to say we have a fan of that team who today is wearing an Arsenal Arsenal um, scarf around him. Uh, Carvin Goldstone, award-winning South African journalist, the funniest man not so long ago in South African comedy, a man who's gone full-time into a different field. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, Carvs? I'm well, thanks. Happy to be here. Nice to see all you guys. Looking great. Awe, awe, awe. And uh, you know what? Our four fantastiques today wouldn't be completed without the big man up front, an award-winning sports editor at the KwaZulu-Natal Witness, which I think is now just The Witness, a man who, for his sins, would sit in the independent newspaper canteen with Carvin and myself as young cubs, teaching us the best food to order. Carl Peters, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm just so excited that Carvin's around because I'm sure he's going to talk far more sense than me today. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about the state of South, the South African country when our comedians speak more sense, Carl? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. That's how our soccer is in South Africa. Comedians <laughs> are more popular. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's a pleasure to have you around the braai. Um, we're just going to lay the menu for Thanks. You and the, uh, the, um, the, our, our listeners uh, tuning in. Um, today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the upcoming CAF elections in Rabat, in Morocco, on March 12th. We're going to talk about one of the leading candidates, South Africa's Patrice Mutsepe. Get a bit of an analysis on him what he stands for and what he could bring to um, the governing body of football on this continent. Um, we're also going to use this as a time to catch up about probably the best game that I've ever seen live, which was in the Confederations Cup back in 2009. And there I was road tripping with my ride or dies, Carl Peters and Carvin Goldstone and my dad. An amazing trip. And we'll end the show with an African football quiz where Carl Peters is like the Manchester City in here. He's a juggernaut that's going to take some beating with... Oh, no. <laughs> with, uh, with Carvin being Arsenal and Courtney being Manning Rangers. So that's, that's how we'll, we, we, we'll, we'll describe the, the competing voices. But an important place to start. The governance of the Confederation of African Football. We have an election coming up. Ahmed Ahmed, the incumbent leader, is currently suspended. Um, he won't be standing the elections on March 12th. There are four candidates that are standing. Um, there's Jacques Zunoma from the Ivory Coast, Augustin Senghor from Senegal, and Ahmed Yaya from Mauritania. But probably the person who's got the most attention in the build-up to these elections is Patrice Motsepe, a mining magnate from South Africa, a man who's made his money in business, a man who has been at the helm of Sundowns, who've really built a dynasty in the country. They've won five out of the last seven uh, PSL titles. They were conquerors of Africa when they won the, um, when they won the um, CAF Champions League in 2016. And, of course, um, their coach, Pizzo Masamane, has um, gone to um, Al-Akhli in Egypt and achieved great things there. And he was interviewed on our podcast previously. If you missed that out, 
Go and have a look. It was two pods ago. You'll love everything that he said. But Carl, for those out there listening, could you let us know a little bit more about who Patrice Motsepe is, the man and his standing in, in South African football? Yeah, Patrice Motsepe is a guy who's very well respected in both uh, government circles, in uh, business circles, and uh, of course now in soccer circles. So effectively, he came through the black empowerment uh, kind of dynamic that uh, happened in South Africa after uh, liberation. He made his money in the mineral section that way. Today, Motsepe is involved in lots of other things, including uh, technology uh, investments, financial instruments. So he's uh, a big a big shot. He's a big shot in South Africa. He's a much-loved guy. doesn't have too many controversies uh, surrounding him, except that uh, recently I think his wife has been the news, in the news for a political controversy in Botswana. I don't know if that goes hand in hand with uh, business imperatives, politics and business, but uh, Mutsipe himself is a, in uh, two words, a top dog in South Africa. Motsepe is Africa's ninth richest man. He has an estimated wealth of $3.2 billion. Um, and he has said that he, um, he wants to come in because he's been asked to come in. He's been asked by people within South African and African football circles to stand. Carl, South Africa on the continent has a really nuanced and interesting relationship. Um, it doesn't seem like South African officials, past and present, have been respected. There seems to be a tension with the existing leadership. Could you give us a history of South Africa's standing in Africa? I think uh, there are many reasons for that. And uh, some of it I've seen through my own uh, travels with the national team and clubs in, in Africa. And... On the one hand, we're the richest uh, country in Africa. So when we go out into Africa, uh, that's how we are seen as the rich, arrogant guys. But on the other hand, we've come late into soccer in, uh, in African terms because we only got uh, liberated. Well, we got democracy in the 90s. So we've been playing catch up and I think, uh, some others have been threatened by, the, by that, but at the same time, they also laugh at the fact that despite all our money, we've actually gone relatively uh, only a few paces in uh, African and international football. So I think it's a combination of those things, just the pure money element that looks good on one hand. On the other hand, it's the poor football pedigree, you know? So, but I think in the current setup, in terms of linking all of this to Motsepe, it's a, a continuation of South Africa trying to achieve a greater standing in CAF. And that would be, I would say, more linked to the economic uh, status of South Africa rather than the football status of South Africa. We do still have the, the best and richest, uh, best organized and richest league in, uh, on the continent, despite our national team not being uh, the best. So it's, it's, it's as, yeah, as I said, a mixture of reasons for that, yeah. Carvin, as somebody who keeps a close eye on current affairs and news, 
Do you think Patrice has some value to add on the African continent? Do you think his experience in the private sector, his experience and success at Mamelodi Sundowns is something that could benefit CAF? Unless he's going to throw like a couple billion dollars at CAF. I don't know what his real reason for getting involved outside of his own. Uh, I think it's a bit of ego, um, especially with the philanthropists. They, they kind of... They want to be philanthropists because having money is not enough anymore. And we see it across the world in all industries where people with billions now want to kind of invade and almost like touch everything. So I'm not sure how serious Patrice Matsepe is about, um, about improving football beyond like that being coming back to him as look what he did. Um, uh, look what I did. I changed football. So um, we looked at Sundowns and, you know, Sundowns' success, as Carl is pointing out, oh, his involvement with Sundowns has mostly been like essentially throwing money at them. And we, were, we had Pep Guardiola talking this week about Man City being the top team because, well, we, have, we bought the most expensive players. And uh, he doesn't feel bad about that. He says Real Madrid does it, Barcelona does it, Man United did it. So um, that's been uh, his real contribution to football in South Africa in many ways is that he's, he's put money into it. So what's his contribution at CAF? It has to be financial um, or at least some sort of business acumen because the way I see it, it's more an extension of, of an ego when, when people like Masepi get involved and want like to be the head of CAF. They just want to be the chiefs. <laughs> um, we can start to talk a little bit about um, Patrice's manifesto that he, um, he launched, which was titled Building African Football to be the best in the world. There were 10 points assigned to that uh, manifesto. But if you want the Yellow Pages version, it's centered on good governance, best practices, investment into African football infrastructure, statutory reforms, and really looking at increasing the prize money at the um, big continental competitions we have, whether that's the CAF Champions League or the AFCON tournament or the CHAN. When you look and pick through that um, manifesto, maybe we'll start with you here, Courtney. What did you, what, what did you make? What did, what did you read when you, when you went through that manifesto? And um, Carl Carvin certainly coming off the back of that. Well, Zane, listening to Carl and Carvin and the points they raised about Patrice Mutsepe, uh, this well-educated uh, edu well businessman within the country that they currently have, you would possibly think that the manifesto would reflect the ambition which he currently has. But in my opinion, reading through it, I didn't see that. This is why I, I agree with Corbin. What is his aim here? Because Sundowns are successful because a lot of money was thrown at it. You know, is it an ego thing? I really think that the manifesto does not reflect the ambition if CAF is looking for a leader that they're going to get. What I would say, if I'm a, in his entourage, and I wish I was, I would be saying to him, before looking at Kev, let's start improving Bafana. Let's start improving yeah. Safa. Let's get involved there. Let's make Safa a big hit, which then increases your profile. Hmm. This man is going to the Olympics. He hasn't even gone to the trials. But he's running in the final. So uh, I don't know what's his end game. I don't know what's he after. Because in CAF, you cannot just throw money at problems to fix them. Courtney's right. Why does he show more interest in African football? You know, it's, uh, we are so far behind, as Carlos pointing out, the rest of the continent. And we've got someone saying he wants to improve. This is the same problem we had with our president, uh, Tabo Mbeki, and to a certain extent, Cyril Ramaphosa in South Africa, 
where they got involved in the African Union and they're trying to almost uh, make a name for themselves in Africa. And they're like, but yeah, but we've got issues that you're not like attending to right now in this country. And that's what, where you were elected. So in some ways, I'm like, if, if he's really serious about um, changing the football or making Africa the greatest football in the world, he can't even make South Africa the greatest football in the continent. Uh, and that's a smaller, like, it's a smaller thing to work with. Like, if you could focus on, de- like, development of South African football is so poor uh, at, 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 like, kid level, school level. It's so far behind. I remember interviewing uh, Gary Bailey. Uh, uh, must, it must be, like, 10 to almost 10 years ago now, talking about where, when does South Africa ever get up to uh, a level where, you know, our youth structures are as good as, uh, um, let's say, uh, Man City or Arsenal or Barcelona. Or, or some of the French teams. And he was like, oh, we, we're so many years behind because there's, there's no structures in place to even like create that environment for kids to come through. We don't have the facilities. Yeah. And Matsepa is a big billionaire with lots of money to throw around. Um, if he's going to go into Africa and he's, and he's serious about it, then he hasn't, shown, he hasn't shown that same sort of drive in this country. So it's all verbose. It's just, he's just blowing his mouth. I think for for me the most interesting uh, item on his uh, in his manifesto is VAR. I mean, how do you implement VAR in fifty mostly poor countries in Africa? That is going to be a monumental task. I mean, it would be that for Bill Gates as well, not just uh, Motsepe. Mm-hmm. You you can't. So he's got a lot of nice things mentioned there or listed in his manifesto, but most of them would be things that any candidate would put forward in this sort of election. I think maybe we've got to look at who's really behind Motsepe's campaign. Did he start this mission on his own? Or was it maybe Danny Jordan, who having uh, not accomplish as much as he would have liked in CAF and uh, FIFA. Put him, maybe he put him up to this as part of a, an overall move for South Africa to kind of take over uh, African football, even if we don't have the the foot pure football reputation to go along. I mean. Uh, even if he does get elected, uh, Motsepe, where is he going to find the time to deal with, uh, okay, referees in Ouagadougou, uh, this faction fight in Madagascar, uh, VAR in Lesotho? Uh, so <laughs> I totally agree with you guys. That, uh, for me, it's, it was a big surprise when he went, uh, well, seemingly wholeheartedly into this campaign, you know? having gone through the manifesto and maybe he's just given sound bites out almost like subheadings uh of his full manifesto but the one thing i keep seeing and maybe i stand to be corrected here is the absence of fans that is not part of the manifesto you know he talks about growing women's football he talks about implementing var which i I don't know how would that work in a lot of countries across Africa, but that's an ambitious thing, yes. Mm. Uh, protecting the integrity of uh, professional referees. I, I, I love those, but you must remember, if there's a big example currently at the moment be, uh, showing us what football is like minus fans is during this COVID period. The mm. game has so been affected without fans being able to support teams 
and being in the stadiums. That is not coming through on it. So yeah, I, I think like what you said, Cole, when you said who is actually maybe driving this CAF presidency? Okay, so he, he, he's a owner of Sundowns in the African context. They have significantly less fans than uh, than like Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs. So he's not really, you know, <laughs> he's not really uh, dealing with the dynamics of fans yeah. and big numbers. Someone who's been in charge of a massive club, they like dealing with that daily. They know all the little ins and outs of how fans are so important. So it's the same with Man City, you know, like they don't have that big of a fan base. They don't feel like they need it. They just carry on with what they're doing. So maybe that's his approach. So when no, you look totally, at... Oh, sorry, go on, yeah. Carl. Yeah, what Carvin said early on is correct. You know, it's always easier to sort out your neighbor's problems than your own problems. You know, whether it was Mbeki or anybody else. So we really need to focus on sorting ourselves out first before we can try and change CAF and FIFA, you know, and even Courtney said the same thing earlier on. So again, yeah, uh, an unexpected, but uh, at the same time, uh, realistic uh, campaign by Motsepe because he's got the money and he's competing against guys who will probably, I think that some of them have got more management uh, admin uh, experience than him. And maybe they will quietly be saying, oh, okay, they're the rich boys from the South. Let's keep them in their place again. You know, don't let yeah. this guy's big wallets come and uh, influence all of us. And, uh, you know, we have soccer really, really at heart. And, and that's why you should look at us. So, But then again, the previous president, he also came from a small federation and ended up in uh, financial trouble there and controversy. So what do we know about the real benefits uh, and the real goings on in CAF and FIF? Maybe there are some rewards that we guys don't know about. Maybe, you know, soccer is also a rich man's toy in terms of owning clubs, but uh, it's also a way of boosting your contacts and improving your networks yeah. and, you know, Correct. stuff like that, yeah. I would say as we bring this um, discussion to a close, and I'd like to thank everyone for their thoughts and their analysis. Carl, when you saw the manifesto launch, you saw some of the kingmakers of South African football and African football in that room in, uh, in Johannesburg. You had Dr. Ivan Corza, the um, chairman of the PSL and the owner of Orlando Pirates. You had Dr. Johnny Jordan, the uh, president of SAFA and the man who largely oversaw um, South Africa's World Cup in 2010. Yeah. Um, you had the head of Kasafa. Somebody like um, Amadou Pinnock, the Nigerian Federation president, highly influential on the continent, and someone who um, is, 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 is a big power broker in, 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 Anglophone, um, in Anglophone Africa. And there have been reports that Gianni Infantino, who most recently has been on the continent, is reportedly backing Patrice uh, for, for the role. Um, the projected figure that um, Amadou Pernick and others have said is that they think Patrice will get 40 votes out of 54 um, federations in the elections. Do you think Patrice is the man to beat and do you think he's, he's going to go in there with a strong backing due to the lobbying and he obviously has been traveling all across Africa to lobby for the support? I definitely think he's got a chance, but uh, even if he wins, I really don't see how it's going to 
benefits African football because he's not an administrator, a football administrator by trade, by experience. He's just a businessman. So he might have some good ideas that uh, help African football. But uh, if he's got the FIFA president behind him, well, he's definitely got Kosafa. They've said that publicly already that they're backing him. But uh, the horse trading, of course, doesn't happen out in public. eh? So Mm. what happens on March 12th and March 11th, the night of March 11th in particular, uh, will determine uh, the outcome of of that election. You know, so I I definitely will not be putting my house on any particular candidate, to be honest with you. He's probably going to win. He's probably going to win in the same way Donald Trump won the U.S. election. <laughs> that, uh, Equating Patrice to, to Trump, go on, Calvin. Not, not, in, not in his personality or his, 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 in the way, in his disposition, but in that, um, that false illusion that we have that rich people know what they're doing in any field. Um, and because they, they, got, they made a lot of money, they must be able to manage things. And as the Americans discovered, that's not necessarily the case. And as Carl's saying, he's not a football administrator. This is completely different. And football people, for the most part, you know, football, as much as it's Carl's saying it's a rich man's toy, it's, a, it's really a poor man's game. Um, and so yeah. the majority of people that are interested in football uh, are ordinary people. So I don't know. Let's see what happens. Thank you for that discussion. Really lively, really energetic, really illuminating. We look forward to see who will get the CAF presidency job and whether there'll be a new vision to take Africa forward. Um, Gentlemen, as we round out the podcast and before we get to the quiz, um, I mentioned at the top of the show, one of my favorite football memories was watching Egypt versus Brazil at the 2009 Confederations Cup. And um, for those of you who've obviously worked out, Carvin, myself and Carl are old friends. Um, And in the context of this, Carvin, Carvin and I were the cub reporters at the old independent newspapers and Carl was the guy who we sought sagely advice from, particularly where we could get our parking permits, what were the best food in the canteen was, and how we could claim back mileage. That's where Carl, Carl came in hugely valuable, Not aside from all the journalistic advice and extra <laughs> subbing he did on our copy. But I have all to go legal, back. legal stuff. Eh? All legal stuff. <laughs> our, unofficial, uh, our unofficial shop steward and union rep. But, yeah. um, I remember a trip when we went out to Bloemfontein to watch that famous Egypt-Brazil uh, game. Egypt, famous for always conquering Africa but never making the World Cups. And that Brazil team would still the allure and excitement. And, you know, even though they were coached by Dunga and under him, mm-hmm. even though they had star players like Robinho and Kaká, still <laughs> didn't play like a traditional yeah. Brazilian team. But we did a road trip, and I'll never forget Carl. Uh, Carvin said, I'll pick you guys up. And he arrived. And how would you describe the car he arrived with, uh, with Carl? I think at that stage, you would have, you would have called it a modern Chinese car. That's <laughs> <laughs> 12 years ago. Of, of course, they, the Chinese now have the biggest car market in, in the world. And the technology has really improved. <laughs> But uh, Carvin, Carvin came with a with a wagon. It was a it was a green machine. It was a green machine. 
and it took us uh, what 400 500 k's to Bloemfontein another few hundred k's back so it did well uh, yeah i mean it got, it it uh, took as much petrol as the goals leaked in by the Egyptian goalkeeper but uh, still I mean we were really appreciative I mean the guy offered and we yeah and for the context of the listeners out there great road trip yeah we had a great road trip for for the listeners out there we drove from Durban to Bloemfontein and that as Carl says is about a 500 600 kilometer round trip and um, I remember there were roadworks and we ended up getting stopped oh, for about yes. half an hour somewhere. Um, and this was so old. Carvin, do you remember when you arrived to pick us up, you pulled out a map book. I remember there was no phones. It was a map book. I do remember. I do remember pulling out a map book. I also remember that uh, we, were, we were weighing it up. I think it was your dad's car. And uh, I actually just bought this vehicle. What um, was it? What make was auction. it, Calvin? <laughs> it was like a, like so in Af- South Africa, they got those GWMs, uh, yes, which yes. is like a, a Chinese motors, uh, vehicle. Yeah. Yes. Great wall motors. This was a fake GWM. It was like. You didn't tell us that at the off. time. <laughs> Some of them ripped off a Chinese vehicle. I, don't I know, think it was, no, it was genuine at that stage. It was just <laughs> Chinese. Oh, it was called, it was called Maya. It wasn't GWM. Oh, okay. It was another name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we still had we still had no problems with it, eh? you know. Yeah, Coven, what I was your lasting years. memory from that trip? What do you what do you remember about that game? For me, it was hugely impactful. The fact that we all did this in the space of about, we drove, we got there just in One time day. to kick off, <laughs> and then we came back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember the fans. It was mostly the fans. Um, being in Bloemfontein, Bloemfontein Celtic fans have a very particular way of celebrating where they turn around and they face their backs to the, to the field and they all hold. And I think some of the European clubs kind of, uh, I don't know if they, they stole the idea or they uh, <laughs> were doing it before, but uh, the, 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 South Af- the South African and the African fan bases that turned up, the Egyptian fan base that was already in South Africa that went to the match and those that came in, uh, and then the, particularly the Bloemfontein fans, really brought that game to life because, I mean, you had Egypt versus Brazil. Not really um, a game that we have a lot of skin in, if that, make, if that makes any sense. But it didn't feel like uh, it was a far-off game. That we just, it felt emotional. And it was down to the fans, which is, which is I guess, what people uh, now are realizing we miss and how important that fan uh, interaction with the players and the coaches from the stands even just makes football beautiful. Mm. That's why it's a beautiful game. Mm. I think we were also all excited because that uh, Confederations Cup tournament was part of the build-up for the 2010 World Cup. And then to see uh, this African team giving the mighty Brazil a good run for their money, it just kind of put some pride into us you know and it, and the, it like, yeah. li- lifted us on the on the stands and uh no it was it was a great trip and and a great match you know yeah lots of goals mm, seven, seven yeah. goals i mean we saw three goals if i'm correct within like 12 minutes and kaka scored yeah and zidane it was it was amazing and i remember i remember looking at carl and carl turned to me in a very sort of serious but friendly way carvin and he said 
hey, you know, we got our money's worth. Huh? You don't often see mm. tea goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you can't cover football. I covered football. You, you, we Especially in no, PSL no. football. <laughs> yeah, we watch 0-0. Yes. Zero, zero. You know, Especially you know, in South Africa. Yeah. We watch like, some really like drabby yeah. games in the World Cup. Uh, I can't remember some of them, but some of them were like just like. Well, I remember going to right. I went to Brazil versus Portugal in 2010 in Durban. Awful. Oh yes, yeah. Awful. You know what I mean? We got excited for nothing. Um, but that 2009 yeah. Af- the Confederations Cup game was it's one of my highlights. Let me just tell yeah. you a quick story. I wasn't Go involved on. with sports at all. Um, I used to be a uh, news journalist, and Zane was doing build-ups for the 2010 um, matches. I think it was. The, the Netherlands was playing um, uh, maybe Japan. South Korea or something. Japan, 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 that's correct. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's supposed to have someone come in and do uh, analysis, pre-match analysis. I think it was, I feel like it was Mike McCobb for some reason. And uh, he didn't pitch. And so he asked me, can you please come through um, and, <laughs> and analyze football? Uh, just based on the fact that I can talk like you don't need you don't need to know much you know a little bit don't you you know enough <laughs> I was like yeah actually do <laughs> why well, not you were you knew you were a dutch football fan we watched yeah, we watched, was, we watched uh, the netherlands play in the in the world cup and you had your big mm. flag that you pulled out and you were waving <laughs> so uh, we went and basically that's how i became a sports journalist is that after that world cup they made me come back again and i had a big patch of a ball patch on my head oh, you can see it's a little bit patchy yeah because I had alopecia um, where your hair falls out. And my auntie, and I was, so I was there with Zane on TV with a big ball patch. And my auntie in Newlands East said to me, why don't you put polish? How can you go on TV and embarrass us with a big ball patch on your, on your head? Put polish there or something. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and then a month later, I, I got a job. It, was, it must have been, yeah, just about a month later. ENCA asked me, would you like to come work here full time? I said, doing what? I said, like, like, you know, like what you were doing there at the World Cup. I was like, cool, okay, let's go. <laughs> and that started your career in sports journalism. Guys, I appreciate it. We're at the end of the podcast. But before mm-hmm. we go, I've got a five-question penalty shootout. Let's see oh, who no. can beat King Carl. The questions are hard. Every, have, you pen, everybody. have your paper ready. I'll ask you the questions, and I'll give you the answers all at the end. So let me get okay. the questions. <clears throat> First question. Who were the finalists? In the 2019 AFCON, who were the two teams that were the finalists? Write them down. Don't tell anybody. Second question. Oh, God. We'll keep to the 2019 theme going. There were three Africans who were tied as top scorers in the Premier League in 2019. Who were they? All right. Okay. Write, write it down. I'll give you a few extra seconds. Three, two, one. So, in 2012, Lionel Messi is said to have scored the most goals in a calendar year, 86, breaking Gerd Muller's total. But the Football Association of Zambia, over the years, has claimed that they have a goal scorer who scored 107 goals in a calendar year. Who is that player? Who is the Zambian said to have scored more goals than Gerd Muller and Lionel Messi. <clears throat> you either know it or you don't. Question four. <laughs> Question four. 
Al-Akhli finished third at the most recent FIFA Club World Champs. Which African team has been the most successful at the Club World Cup? And where did they finish? Which is the team and where did they finish? Final question. The Golden Shoe is the award given to the top goal scorer in the top European leagues. Which African is currently in contention to potentially win the Golden Shoe at the end of the season? Who is the current African on that Golden Shoe list in some pretty um, fine company? The likes of Mbappe, Ronaldo, Messi. Who is the one African currently competing for that? I think your questions are too hard, Zayn. <laughs> they have eliminated us. <laughs> All righty, let's go through them. Question one, uh, who are the finalists in the AFCON? Who knows that? <laughs> um, Nigeria. Uh, You've got Nigeria. What? Nigeria. <laughs> I got... I, got, um, I went I Cameroon and Nigeria. What did you go with, Carl? That was ages ago, eh? wasn't it? Yeah. Carvin, what did you uh, go with? That was Al Algeria. No, man. That was uh, Algeria and Nigeria. It was Algeria and Senegal, so nobody scores yes, a goal Senegal. there. Yeah. Mares yes, yeah. being the star. Alger Algeria won. Yes. Yes, they did. But, um, yes, Carl, yes. I tell you what, That's give yourself late, half the luck. Carl gets half a mark. Yeah, mix the jerseys up. Carl gets half a mark for that. Question two. Who were the three Africans who tied for top scorer in the Premier League? Oh, that's easy. Mo Salah. Yeah, second. Who was Two from Liverpool, one from Arsenal. There we go. So that was it. It was Aubameyang, Salah, Mane. If you got that, give yourself a mark. Who was the famous Zimbabwean... So not Zimbabwean, oh. Zambian, said to have yeah, uh, scored 107 name. goals. Sorry, yeah. Gilbert Mashanga Zike. He was good, but not that good. He is Zimbabwean. Courtney, do you know? Courtney, do you know? I remember him. I, I, I remember Gilbert very well. Uh, <laughs> hard, hard trainer. Hard trainer. Very yeah. good defensively up front. Yeah, yeah. But the question, no. Okay. Godfrey Chitalu. That was my thing. One of, one of uh, Kalusha Bwalia's <laughs> idols, if I'm correct. Um, here we go. So the next question was about the FIFA Club World Cup and this, the African team that has performed the best. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Zamalek. Uh, Alakhli. No, Zamalek, some time ago. Courtney? Um, I would go with uh, Esik Abidjan. TP Masembe. They made the finals in 2010. Okay. They're the team oh, yes. from the DRC, Moise Katumbi owns them. And the African who's currently in contention to win the Golden Shoe? In Europe, right? Yeah. Mo Salah? Nope. No, it's, the guy's not in England, I can assure you. Yeah, he's not in England, that's correct. Uh, he's no, Nigerian. Pass. pass. Yeah, yeah. Courtney? Pass. No clue. Paul on a chua. So there we go, guys. We've come to the end. It seems like uh, we only every Carl so and one. sorry, Courtney's got one. Carvin's got one. And winning with one point five, Carl <laughs> Peters. Well done. Uh, that's the, no, that's, we need that's, a tiebreaker. We need one no, more question. The, the, you want one more question? 
You want one more? That's thing? a thirty percent pass rate, right? <laughs> That's like the that's then like the one more that's question, like the yeah. matric requirement in South Africa. Yeah, huh? that's as good as the matric requirement in South Africa. I, I have to say, guys, we have to, we have to end it there. Carl Peters wins on away goals because he did get one right in the first. Year. We give, we gave him half a mark for that. We won mm-hmm. via, please. <laughs> we need via in on the whistle. Yeah, guys. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining us on the pod today. For those of you listening out there, please like us on YouTube. Um, follow us on Twitter, OTW underscore podcast, same handle on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. That's where we interact. That's where we talk around the bry. It's on the Whistle podcast. And if you've come this far, I say this every week, leave a rating, leave a review. It helps people find the show. Carl Peters, Carmen Goldstone, Courtney Freeze. Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully we'll have you on soon enough. Thank you, Zane. All the best. Thank you very much, Zane. Lovely to speak to everybody again.